0: Um, thank you everyone for being on time. I want to share today something a little. We haven't done this in the past, but I want to share such an idea as, in terms of story. I'm going to try, it. So at least sometimes, maybe I'll do this daily. We'll see how, how it goes. Try to pick a yard site that happened on that day and then talk about that person at the yard site. occurred with a few stories, a little background. Perhaps it's relatable and we can learn from people, you know, great people of the past generations. So today is the 28th of Nissan. And the 28th of Nissan is the yard site of Rav Nata Greenblatt. Does anybody know where Rav Nata Greenblatt is? Heard the name. Heard the name. Who is Rav Nata Greenblatt? So he was the longtime rabbi in a city that you probably wouldn't even know Jews existed in. Does anybody know? Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Tennessee. (laughs) All right. He passed away a year ago. This is his first yard site today. 28th of Nissan today. So he passed away a year ago, 28th of Nissan. And so I want to talk a little bit about Rebnata Greenblatt, about his life. He was a big person in Klal Yisrael, one of the Gidoil in many areas. And a couple of particular stories that I, I was looking it up today to try to get some good tidbits to share with the on things that uh, spoke to me. So Rebnata Greenblatt was born in 1925 in America. His family moved to Israel, I think from what I understood till he was about a teenager. Then they moved back to America. What well, he's most famous for, other than being tremendous Talmud Chacham and a bucky, exact, proficient in many areas of halacha, I saw that Moshe Feinstein said about him when he was 21 that he was going to be a Gadal Like It was like Pasha, this, this man was beyond. So he was tremendous, tremendously knowledgeable in many areas of halacha. He was who Klaal Yisrael turned to for many areas of halacha. It was also a tremendous ish chesed, the tremendous chesed. One of the things that he was most famous for was in Hilchas Gittin. Actually, I believe Rabbi Yehuda Zweig, I don't know if he studied under him in Hilchas Gittin or if he, I don't want to quote it incorrectly, but he had some connection with him because Rabbi Nata Greenblatt was very involved in Gittin throughout America. The stories that I read imply that he would travel far, as far as he, if necessary in order to elicit gitin for women that were stuck in situations where the man was refusing to give a get. Yeah, stories, so things like that, meaning he would travel on his own expense to make sure gitin were done properly. Gitin has to be done very appropriately. If you mess up gitin, it's a big problem because then she's not really divorced. She gets remarried. The kids are mamzer. It's a big issue. And he would make sure to travel and elicit proper gitin for women to free them from their relationship that net was necessary. So he was the long-term rabbi in Memphis, if I understood correctly, from the ni- early 1950s, maybe forty-nine fifty, till last year, um, he was stationed in Memphis, and he was the rabbi there, I think Rosh Hashiva also, perhaps, and a tremendous God will be Israel. I want to just say two stories particularly that spoke to me, and these stories both illustrate the same principle, which is you know, really great people aren't just focused on the big things, but they're focused on the small things. I want to illustrate those, that in two different ways, really. Uh, the first, actually, I saw a video on YouTube. I want say YouTube here. Yeah. YouTube. Right. YouTube. Uh, I saw a story, there was like a conversation between her, if not the green, black, was an old man already, and a couple of his students. And they were talking about a sentence in the Zmeros. Now, I'm going to write the sentence in the Zmeros on the board. Anyone can try to translate. You might not know the translation for this, and that's okay. But look at this sentence in the Zmeros. <coughs> they say in the Zmeros, the Ashrei call Choyche, the mees call Okay, now look. Can anybody oh. want to give a stab at translating this sentence? We say this in the Zmiras. <laughs> fortunate, fortunate. Are all those that anticipate or look forward to letashlume chafel, the double portion, receiving back double. Okay, so that's fine. And who do they receive it from? Now what are these words saying? Look at these words. Can anybody translate these words? From who do they anticipate receiving reward from? Me <laughs> from Kol Soiche. How would you translate that? What? Saycha so, 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 so means seeing or see. Me'es kol saycha. how would you translate so. it? All all people you. From? People have two eyes. Well, from, sure. who do they get reward I'm from? Who do people anticipate reward from? From? All the now, this, kol so, saycha, so, the way it's written in the Zmiras is like this. Kol Seicha with the kamats under the chaf. Kol Seicha. The way the art scroll translates it, which is the appropriate translation... Huh? No, no, that's with a kuf. Kol Seicha means the all-seeing, right? The one who sees all. Who is the one that sees all? Hashem, right? So let's put that in parentheses. So what does that mean? It means, who do you anticipate reward from? Meis kol Seicha, the one who sees all, which means a Baruch Hu. That's what it means. So if not the green blind in this video was saying that they wrote it wrong in in this mirror they wrote it wrong because if there's a kamat under the cuff it doesn't mean the one who sees all but what it means is all those who see you hear the difference is very what does it mean all those who see it means that there's more than one power who sees which would then imply that you're anticipating reward from multiple gods which is kfirah. that's why it's kfirah. So he was saying in this little clip I saw that you have to, you can't write it like that. The way it has to be written actually is with a cholam, kol, soiche, and the translation is different. And the appropriate translation is the one who sees all, referring to Hashem. But if there's a kamatz, it means there are multiple who see all, which has for is clear. Now it's a very, very detailed thing. But he was saying, that's the way it has to be said. It's kol, or koil, if you want to say it, with a cholum and not with a kamatz, where the kamatz is actually kfirah. Now, to you and me, this might seem like an insignificant thing. But for the gedoilim, small things were important. So he was pointing this out. That was one Misa. Okay, now you can wake up, because the second mice is more Kind of, pick up your head. You're going to be famous. YouTube, next thing. The second story I wanted to share is like this. The story of Heinemann relates. Heinemann is a big rabbi in, in Baltimore. One of the biggest rabbis. Big rabbi, tremendous. Tom he, he related the following story, I believe after the passing of Rav Nata Greenblatt. Does anybody know what a chalitza is? What's a chalitza? That's um, Dafyami, so we know. What's uh, that? It. No, it. So there's it? two brothers. So it's two brothers. One is married, they don't have children, and brother passes away. The living brother, meaning the brother-in-law of this woman, can either do yibum in which he marries her, which we don't do today. So instead of yibum, we do Chalitza. What is Chalitza? What does the process accomplish? But what does it accomplish ultimately? Exactly. Thank you. It, bre- it breaks the connection. Meaning it sends her away. She can go marry whoever she wants. Now I'm not going to get into all the details of Chalitza. But one of the steps of Chalitza... Spitting is one of the steps. One of the steps is there's a special type of shoe that's put on the foot of the brother in law, and she has to remove the shoe from his foot. Okay? And it's necessary that the shoe be on his foot and then removed. That's part of the step of chalitza. So, Rev Heinemann was once tasked to run a chalitza in Baltimore. And a shiloh came up based on this chalitza, based on the reality of the situation of the brother in law. The brother in law was in jail. And they were going to take him out of jail for the time of chalitza, and then return him to jail after. The problem was when they were going to take him out of jail, there was going to be an ankle bracelet—what are those things called? An ankle bracelet. Ankle Is there a better word for that? Ankle monitor. What? Ankle monitor. ankle monitor on his ankle, which means the chalitza shoe wouldn't be able to sit properly on his foot. There would be a chatzitza in interposition. So now, one second. Now, okay. So it was on the foot that needed to be removed the shoe from. Now, Rav Heinemann had never dealt with such a situation before. He's done, he'd done chalitza's before, even though it's not very common. But he never dealt with this situation. So he picked up the phone and he called up Rav Nata Greenblatt. And he said to him, What do you suggest I do? Now, he knew that Rav Nata knew the halacha about this, because he knew all the halachas. He was a Boki Bishas Poiskim. Mendi, So... He called the Rav Nata Greenblatt and he said, look, here's the situation. This guy's coming out of jail with an ankle monitor. We need to do a chalitza. How could I do it in a situation that there's such an interposition of the ankle monitor? Man, dear, ma'am Sadik. So Rav Nata said to him, uncharacteristically, he said, give me three hours and then call me back and I'll give you a resolution to your Shiloh. And Rav Heinemann couldn't understand what's the Pshayi needed three hours? He certainly knew the halacha. Rav R- 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 knew the halacha for no question. So he couldn't understand why Ravnata needed three hours. But as Ravnata said, three hours later he calls him up and Rav explained why he asked for three hours. Listen to this. Rav said, here's what happened. I knew the halacha. Not a question, I knew the halacha. But I wanted to see the reality of how the ankle bracelet sits on the ankle. Because I didn't know what that reality is. I'd never dealt with that in the before in reality. So my first stop was, within three hours in Memphis, I went to one of the jails. I wanted them to show me, how does an ankle bracelet sit on the ankle? Is it possible to lift it so that the chalitza shoe could be put on the skin and it won't be an interposition? They wouldn't let me in the jails. They said, go to the police station. Maybe they'll let you in over there. So I went to the police station. And at the police station, they wouldn't let me in either to show me how the ankle bracelet worked. And they said, maybe call a judge and be able to figure it out. So I called up a judge. I couldn't find a judge in Memphis, a random guy. I finally got in touch with a judge in Memphis. This was within three hours. And the judge told me that instead of an ankle bracelet, you can request that when the brother-in-law is taken out of jail, they put a wrist bracelet on him instead. And Kach of not the have them take him out of jail in a wrist, request that and they request it and they perform the chalitza without any problem. Now why do I love this maissa? Give all the gemaisa. It's a simple story but he didn't know the reality of something and it wasn't beneath his dignity to start hustling around town to try to figure out what's the reality of the situation. He'd never dealt with an ankle bracelet before so he didn't know how it worked if it would be a contradiction to the halacha. So he started hustling around town. Oh, that was a beautiful Misa. A rabbi has not believed his dignity to start figuring out how does this actually work? What's the Mitzvah? And then paskin based on the reality in the world. Beautiful thing. He was a tremendous God of Israel, Nota. On the other hand, he understood that details are important. I need to understand how this works in order to paskin. And that's what he would do. So for three hours, he figured that out. Adkan, Ezra Hashem, we'll learn today. And uh, let's get started in terms of learning.